in a bearing fruit series, and I hope that uh, you're getting something out of it like I am. Last week, we talked about what it meant to bear the fruit of righteousness from the book of Philippians. And this week, we're going to Hebrews chapter 12. So you go ahead and turn there if you'd like to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to just give you a little bit of background about this book because we're kind of parachuting into the very end of it. Uh, the book of Hebrews has no stated author. It, it's just not there for us. And if I mistakenly say Paul today, know that I know that it's not Paul. It just sometimes comes out that it's Paul because he wrote so much of the New Testament. I'll try to be very clear to say the author of Hebrews because it's unknown to us who it is. And everybody has a guess about it, but that's all it is, is a guess. Uh, but interestingly enough, it's written to a persecuted church of Jewish believers, right? So they're being persecuted because they're holding on to the faith. So if you read the book of Hebrews, so much of it is Old Testament imagery being brought forward into the new covenant, right? So that you see it and that you understand it. And what we're looking at today is really kind of right after what the most famous passage, I think, in the book of Hebrews is, chapter 11, right into the beginning of chapter 12, where the roll call of faith is given, where we're shown all of these folks from the Old Testament who actually lived by faith. We thought they were living by works, keeping the law. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, you missed it. It was all by faith. And we did a sermon series on that a, a couple of years ago. You can find online maybe if you look back at that, that roll call of faith. But then in chapter 12, it starts by saying, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so run in such a way that you may uh, get the prize and, and run with endurance and don't let sin entangle you. I mean, that's kind of where it starts. But this week, we're actually looking at how sufferings and adversity and temptations and persecutions are used by God to reveal the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, a minute ago, we were singing that uh, we're sons, you know, and I am who you say I am. And we're going to see if you agree with that here in just a minute, because it's going to talk about something that most of us try to avoid at all with everything in our being. We don't like it. And, and I got to be honest with you, this week has just been a challenge to think about this passage that often happens when you think that you know what the passage says, you know, because you've read it or you're familiar with it until you kind of get into it. And so I want to stop just for a minute and pray that I'll be clear in my my presentation of what God's word says to us this morning and that we'll be ready to receive it because I think that it's maybe more important than even I originally thought as we were kind of planning out this series for us. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet. Guide us this morning, open our hearts to receive your word. Father, help me to speak it clearly. Uh, and, and Lord, uh, let us just understand what you have for us this morning from this great passage of scripture. Father, no doubt some of us walked in struggling. Some of us walked in happy. Some of us walked in facing adversity or persecution or, or fearfulness, Lord, or, or something that's just waiting for us that we're afraid to face. Father, would you help us this morning to see from your word how that helps us to bear the fruit of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna read verses three through 11 for us this morning. Therefore, since we have also such, I um, ah, see, I started in verse one. That's a problem. Let's start in verse three. That's what happens when you take your glasses off. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart 
when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human parents or human fathers discipline us and we, re we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we may share in his holiness. No one or no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you see this week these sufferings, you begin to understand that last week we talked about love being a prerequisite to bearing the fruit of righteousness because God was getting us ready to be pure and blameless on the day of the Lord. It's a little bit of a contrast though, isn't it? Because now we're seeing how sufferings and adversity and correction and discipline are used by God in our lives to produce these things. If you remember verse one and two calls for believers to endure, to run with endurance. And that's that athletic metaphor. And now he's gonna move it a little bit kind of back and forth between athletics and, and the home metaphor of a parent disciplining us, our father disciplining us. And when you see this in verse one and two, as he's called them into endure, it's really on the, the, roll, the roll call of faith. It's on the heels of that is what he's saying. You need to endure these things. And he says that you need to keep looking at Jesus. And I wanna just read verse three and four again, because I think it frames it for us. Because if we're supposed to be looking at Jesus, what's the example? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. And struggling against sin you have yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, if, if I was just to ask you real quickly, describe Jesus' ministry, how would you do it? Was it successful? Was it easy? Was it uh, people just falling all over him everywhere he went? Was there hostility? Were there things that he had to endure? I mean, a lot of times we forget this, right? I mean, do you remember that Jesus was so popular that at one point in his teaching, they picked up stones and tried to stone him. He had to slip out through the crowd, right? That'd be a great day for me to preach a sermon and have to leave out of the back door, right? I mean, that'd be good. That's how you win friends and influence people, right? I mean, you know you've arrived when they're ready to kill you. Right? I mean, is that a good thing? Do you remember Jesus' own disciples? Even as he's revealing these things to them about him being the Messiah, they don't get it. They actually don't get it until after he's gone. You remember why? Because the Holy Spirit had to come. He told them, go and wait. And they're totally different. None of them but John are at the cross. They're all in hiding. And then they come out with the Holy Spirit on their lives and you can't shut them up. You can beat them. You can imprison them. You, you cannot shut these men up. They're ready to go to war for the gospel. Something has changed, right? But his ministry wasn't that way. He's chased out of, out of synagogues. He's, he's run out of towns. He, he goes to places where he tries to do miracles and people won't receive it. It's an interesting thing then, isn't it? Because verse four was reminding these believers of something that's very important. It says, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Some people take that to mean that these believers, the author's encouraging them by saying, look, I know it's bad. I know you've been imprisoned. I know it's tough right now. But remember that you haven't given your life for this yet. I think that may fall a little bit short 
of the meaning of this as others would say, do you remember that when Jesus was in the garden, what was taking place there before he goes to the cross, right? He's having this, this moment of anxiety in his life because there's God's will and there's what he wants, right? We, we know that God is telling him to go to the cross. And what is Jesus saying? Don't forget this. Father, if this cup can pass for me, let it. I don't want to do it, right? But not my will, but yours be done, right? And do you remember what started to happen in resisting that temptation? That was a temptation, right? I mean, it's a temptation to give into his flesh because Jesus wasn't sitting there going, I tell you what, I'm ready to get to the cross. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. And on the other side of it, it's going to be great, right? I mean, he's being through this process tempted by his own flesh. And yet what does Jesus do? He's never sinned. He's perfect. But even in that moment, how great was the strain over his life? Sweating, drops of blood. Have you ever resisted temptation like that? No. Have you ever been under such duress? No. We don't have to, right? Because we have the great high priest on our side. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We, we, we know that the penalty has been paid. Jesus goes to the cross and shed his blood for us. But in that moment, he's saying, Father, ooh, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't know if I want to do it. I, I'm, I'm being persecuted from every side and I know what's about to happen. I don't want to do it. And he says, but not my will, yours be done. And so the author's reminding us of something here. And I don't know why we, we, we can't catch this, but we believe that our life should be different than Jesus's life. We believe that when we open a business, it should be easy. We believe that when we go to school, it should be easy. We believe that when we pastor a church, it should be easy. We believe that when we go on a mission trip, it should be easy. I mean, everything should just fall right into place and there should never be any adversity. We should never go through any trials. Life should be easy. That's not true. It's not how it works. It didn't work that way for the son of God. Why is it gonna work that way for you? You see, we just, we have this misconception and when we run up against something hard, what do we often do? We wanna recoil against that. Ooh, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna have to break through that. I don't wanna have to go through this trial. I don't wanna have to see what's on the other side of this because it's hard. I don't wanna have to deal with that. But Jesus did something that, that we often fail to realize. Remember Jesus, he was constant. He was never off course, right? He's constant, the same every day. He, he was steady in what he was doing. You, you couldn't knock him off, beam. He knew what he was gonna do. He was following God's will. He was gonna do that. He was steady in doing that, but he was focused. Do you remember when they said, uh, he said, I'm, I'm gonna have to go and I'm gonna have to, to go over here and give my life as a ransom for you. And they said, oh no, Lord, we'll go and we'll fight. We don't want that to happen at all. And do you remember what he said? Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it was a temptation. He didn't want any part of that, right? He, he didn't want them to be distracted. He was focused on the cross. He's marching to the cross because he knows for us, it's the only way. So when we get tempted, he says, consider Jesus who endured. What are you enduring right now? You enduring something? Keep it up. Consider Jesus. Endure. Keep going. Stay focused. Stay constant. Stay steady. Because I want you to see something. The author gives us something here that's really important. He gives us God's method and tells us that it's that of a father. Would you look at this in verse five and six? And this is a quotation from Proverbs because he's constantly quoting the Old Testament through. It's Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been to anyone's house and seen this as like a painting on the wall. You know what I mean? Like it's never been framed. You know what I mean? We just read right by that one in Proverbs, don't we? You know where that's right after? It's the one we love, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Oh, we love that one. Then we get to this one. It's like, mm, I don't think so. Turn the page quickly. I bet you don't have that one underlined in your Bible, right? I mean, isn't that funny how we just skip over these things and yet the author's trying to teach us something here that's very, very important. What he's saying is that God's going to do something for our lives that's like a father does for a son because we are true children of God. He's reminding these believers of who they are in Christ, sons and daughters. And, and I was really kind of struggling with this a little bit. And I read something by a guy named Raymond Brown who wrote on this passage of scripture that I think really helps us to understand it as he points out three things or three reactions you might have to God's discipline in your life, right? So reaction number one is you might disregard it. Notice what it said. You don't take lightly the Lord's discipline. That's no big deal. God's trying to get your attention. Ah, no big deal. You know, that, that's a, an improper way to take the Lord's discipline. When God's dealing with your life, and he's trying to get your attention to just blow it off. It's crazy. Don't take it lightly, he says. That's a mistake. But then he says something else. He says, don't be overwhelmed, right? Look at that. Don't lose heart when you're reproved by him. You ever met somebody that just felt the crushing weight of life circumstances, adversity, persecutions, God's refining fire, and what happens? What do we do? Oh, man, I'm just whipped right now. I'm whipped by it. He says, endure by it. Keep it up, stay focused, stay steady, stay constant, right? Endure these things, don't give in to it. We all know people who when life began to press in on them, abandon the faith, they quit. He's saying don't do that. Don't let it overwhelm you. And then he gives us the, the right reaction when he says, let it remind you of God's love. He says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he punishes every son he receives. Okay. Truth moment. When you were growing up, maybe your parents didn't do these kinds of things to you, but I grew up in a household where we believed that sparing the rod spoiled the child. I never took a spanking where I looked at my dad and thought, thank you. I now know that you love me. Right? It's a funny thing, isn't it, for him to say that? But why does he say that to us? It's because you don't appreciate it in the moment. You don't appreciate it until you get older, right? When you read these things, you ought to see what's happening right here. It's almost like when you have a toddler and they're trying to put their finger in an outlet, right? And you say, don't do that. That'll hurt you. And they go, uh-huh. And you say, don't do that, right? That's taking the Lord's discipline lightly, right? Now, if you take their little hand and you say, don't do that, and they still do it, maybe you take them and you put them in a timeout, get them away from that, distract them from that, whatever it is. Sometimes they can overreact to that, fall on the floor, throw a fit, be overwhelmed by it. What they should see is that mommy and daddy are trying to keep me from hurting myself. That's hard, isn't it? But the scripture's teaching us something very important here. God's love for us 
shows up in the fact that he disciplines us. And, and I want you to see this. It's all for our benefit, not for anybody else's. Look at verses seven through 10. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. When you love a child, you actually give a child boundaries, right? Kids need boundaries. If you're thinking about doing child-centered parenting, we're having a parenting conference October 23rd. We'd love for you to come. It'd be very important for you to see that because we all need boundaries. And it's not just your children. You need them too, by the way. We need laws. We need regulations. We need rules. We need guidance. That's why the scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. I, I need it. I need it to hem me in a little bit because left to my own devices, I'm not so good, right? And it reminds me when it talks about this discipline that God gives us, it says it's for our benefit. And it reminds me of something. One of my favorite hymns of the olden days was How Firm a Foundation. And it had this line in it that said, I don't intend for this fire to consume you, but for your dross to get rid of, right? For the gold to refine and the dross to be gone. What happens? The refiner's fire comes to a piece of metal and the dross, the garbage, the impurities come to the top, you skim it off. Here's the problem in your life. You think you're a lot more gold than dross. You're not. I'm not. We're a lot more dross than we recognize, right? And so what happens is God uses circumstances. In these believers' life, it was persecution. And what God is saying is, it's not bad for you. Well, I don't like it. It's not fun. It's not easy. I know, but I'm gonna use it. And I'm gonna use it in your life because there's still some more dross to get rid of here because I'm doing it for your benefit. It's important that we see that. If we don't experience God's discipline, then maybe we should question whether or not we're legitimately children of the Father. Because he says, if you're a child of God, you're going to endure discipline. You're going to endure what God has for you here because he's shaping you. You know, in, in our home, I put it to you like this, because when we talk about being a, a legitimate child, illegitimate child, and, and one that you really care about, think about it like this. In, in my home, my entire life as a parent, I've been trying to teach two words over and over and over again. We talk about gratitude and we talk about respect. I figure friendship and love may come later. That'll be fine. I'm not really worried about that today. I want children who are grateful and who respect. I mean, that's a big thing to me, very important, right? This past year, my wife was keeping this little girl on our street a couple of days a week, and I would come home for lunch and whatnot, and she wouldn't even speak to me. I mean, she'd just sit there and stare at me, you know? She's like one and a half, and I tried like, hey, how you doing? A lot of that, right? Well, one day we were eating lunch together, and her parents packed her this lunch. It was terrible. I mean, I wouldn't have eaten it, you know? And so Kathy was in the kitchen and she said to this little girl, called her name and said, you need to eat your lunch. And I said, why don't you just look at her and say, nope, Kathy. And she looked at Kathy and said, nope, Kathy. And I was like, yes, yes. We're making some progress here, right? So he went home that afternoon and, you know, Kathy kind of mortified, said, you know, the pastor of our church, my husband, taught your daughter to say, nope, and her parents said, now we don't say nope, Kathy. We say nope, Mr. Jeff. And she went, nope, Kathy. She got it, right? 
Now, now, let me tell you something. If that had happened in my house, I'd have been on my own kids like white on rice, right? But it was funny when it was her. It's like when you're teaching a little class here. You're teaching, you know, our elementary school. If you're teaching in Bible school, I mean, I'm not trying to parent you, right? I mean, unless you're just off the rails, I mean, we let a lot of things go. It's not my problem. It's your parents' problem, right? It's different. When you think about disciplining a child, you do it because you love them. You do it because you're concerned about the outcome of their lives. And that's what he's saying to us here, right? It's important that we understand that. When God comes to us and we feel like his hand is being a little bit heavy on us or our circumstances are being a little bit heavy on us, we've got to remember that God's doing something. And I want you to see it because it's a twofold outcome that the scripture says here. The first says that, that we get to live. Did, did you notice that? It says, shouldn't we even submit to the father of of spirits and live. That's a contrast for us that we might miss. Who's the father of spirits? Well, he's not the father of flesh, the father of our spirit. Do you remember that, that the Lord in the garden told Adam and Eve that if they did what he said, they would live, right? And if they didn't, they would surely die. The scripture says that through one man, sin entered the world right? So when he says this to us, what he's saying is, if you do the right thing, you're going to live. It, it's not going back to your flesh. Now, he's not saying to these believers like, hey, if you sin, you're going to die spiritually. What he's saying is, it's an appeal to your spirit to live with the Lord, right? To totally be in, in that place where you're, you're really thriving and flourishing with the Lord. It, it becomes an important thing for us to see that. You know, and he, he's saying this to us because he wants us to understand that God's discipline is always for our benefit. Now, I, I got news for you. If you're a kid in the room, your parents aren't perfect. You probably knew it, but I've given you permission to say it at lunch. They're not perfect, right? Have you ever, you know, maybe put your kids to bed early at night so that you could watch a television program? I mean, I haven't done that. But have you ever done that? that people that do that are terrible, right? That's discipline for the parents' benefit. That's not what God does. Our parents are imperfect and they, they try their best. It says they do what seems right. But God does it for your benefit. When God comes to you and begins allowing your circumstances to shape your life, it's because he really does know what's best and he's doing it so that you will be made more into the image of Christ. N notice what it said, verse 10 says, that we can be shaped and share in his holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but is that something that gets you excited? Like a lot of times we read these things and God says, this is important. And we go, oh yeah, okay. Could you just bless me? Could, could you just answer that one little prayer I've been praying over here? That's really cool. I really would like to, to be able to do this at my job. I'd really like to, and God says, that may be important, but this is really important that you get to be shaped and you share in my holiness. It's an important thing to share in his holiness, to be like him. You know, it may be today that we're facing persecution or adversity or you're facing illness or you're facing something that you didn't choose. And, and I mean, to be honest, what happens a lot of times is that we think Romans 8, 28 is a joke. God uses all things except this. God, you could have used all things, but my business isn't going well. I'm not doing well at my job. Huh. I don't think you're using that, are you? 
Wouldn't you bless me at all times, God? Wouldn't you do this thing? And, and it's like we, we don't believe that all things are used for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's very hard, isn't it? It's very hard for us to, to kind of get our minds wrapped around that. It's very hard for us to really uh, lean into that and, and accept that because we miss what the payoff is. There's a payoff to pain. Look at verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Training isn't fun, right? Like when your job has a continuing ed day, you're not like, yeah, it's awesome. We get to go hear some boring speaker talk about, I mean, like, come on. Nobody gets excited about two-a-day practices for football in the summer. That's not why you signed up to play football. You signed up to play now when it's cool and, and, and the fall has come. I mean, they, they, nobody enjoys the training. Nobody likes it when you go to the doctor and he says, hey, we need to start a diet. Nobody's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. No more ice cream and more broccoli. Yeah, come on. I can't wait. Let's get started today, right? What do we always do? I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah. I'll start on that tomorrow. It's because we lose sight of the fact that the payoff to pain is actually really good most of the time, right? The payoff to pain in our lives, God's doing something. And what he says is training isn't fun and you may want to quit and you may want to back up, but it's because you're losing sight of the payoff of what God's trying to do in your life. If you lose sight of that, then it's just really drudgery. But when we understand that God can use anything. So that what happens is in the believer's life, it yields the obedience. And notice what it said, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When life kind of starts to press against you, do you just want to fight back? You ever find yourself wanting to do that? You're not peaceful in the storm. You're just kind of flailing and there's this kind of famous line that we often say in church and we kind of grab it from the latter part of the book of Acts where the apostle Paul's recounting how he got saved. And he says that the Lord spoke to him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Do you know what a goad is? It, it's a prod, right? And they would use it against oxen. It's a sharpened stick. And to get the oxen to go left, right, you poke it. And what would happen is the oxen would kick back. It's not, it doesn't feel good, right? But the harder you kick back, right, the deeper the impression of the pointed stick. And eventually the oxen learns that when I'm touched over here, it means we need to go over here instead of being pressed. Well, what, what happens in our lives sometimes is these things happen and we just want to fight against it. We want to kick against it. We want to rail against it. We don't like it. There's no peaceful fruit of righteousness there. The peaceful fruit of righteousness is looking at our circumstances and the adversities and everything that's going on in our life and just saying, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What are you doing right now? What part of me might need to be refined through this? Lord, I wouldn't pick this. I don't like it. I'm struggling. It's hard. But Lord, I, I don't know. What do you want to do in my life? And he says, oh, I'm doing something all right. I'm making you into the image of the invisible, the Christ. I, I'm making you share in part of our holiness. You're learning things that 
that are shaping your character. I'm transforming some things that don't need to be in your life to things that do need to be in your life. I was listening the other day to a interview of a British soldier who was one of the first POWs captured during the very first invasion of Iraq with Saddam Hussein. And uh, he was sent there early with a small group of people and everything went wrong. A bunch of his friends uh, never made it out and the ones that did were captured and spent weeks as prisoners of war. And the interviewer was asking him, how did you make it through and, and kind of keep it going? He said, well, before we ever got through with our training, they brought some people in who had been prisoners of war to talk to us. And one of them was a lady from World War II who talked to us about being part of the French resistance. And she'd been captured. Another was a, a guy who'd been a pilot and, and captured in, in Vietnam. And, and both of them said the same thing. The quicker you accept what is happening, the easier it will be for you to maintain some semblance of mental integrity. And he said, when I was first captured, we were paraded through this street and people were hitting us and I was trying to fight back against my captors. And he said, they just beat me worse. You know, it was just, it was merciless, you know, beating us into submission. The quicker I understood that when they came in the cell, whatever they were gonna do that day, let's just get this on so that I can get back to getting on with my life. The easier life became, you just accept your circumstances and get to that place where you're keeping your mind firm and intact, focused on the mission. I thought that was a fascinating thing because a lot of times I don't wanna accept my circumstances. I don't wanna accept what God's trying to do. I don't wanna accept it. I, I just feel like I don't wanna deal with that. I don't wanna face this. I don't wanna have to go through this. I, right? And yet, God is saying, even in that, I got you. And I'll use it. And I'll redeem the worst day of your life for my glory. I can do it. And you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that. But that is the faith test this morning, isn't it? To believe that God could do what he says he will do. That he will use these things. Did you notice what it said? It said, as discipline, like discipline. That's what happens. God is dealing with you as sons. Endure suffering as discipline. In other words, like it's discipline. Use it for training. Understand that God is doing something so that you will yield the obedience in your life that produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness, good deeds. So I wonder today, is God shaping you into his image and it's painful? Do you feel it? Are you struggling with that? I wonder today if you're struggling with the, the fact that, that maybe God's working and it's really hard to thank him for it. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? To endure and just look at the Lord and say, Whew, I wouldn't choose this, but thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for bringing this to me. I, I would never pick this, but thank you. Would you accept it? Would you accept that God could use a really difficult season of your life for his purposes? Would you maybe rejoice in it and just say, I, I don't know how I can, but I will choose to believe what the scripture says. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
I was reading the book of Job a few weeks ago as part of my Bible reading plan. I just love that part where he's been stripped away of everything. The scripture said that he lost all of his fortune. He lost all of his family except his wife. And she was awesome, right? Real encourager, that one, you know? The Bible says that Job, his body's afflicted with these sores and he's taking broken pottery and he's scratching his arms and these, these sores. And, and his wife looks at him and says, just curse God and die. And you remember what he says? Should we only accept good things from the Lord? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that today? Can you look at what you're facing and, and just look at the Lord and say, I trust you and I'm not gonna lose sight of Christ in this. I'm gonna hold on to it because I believe you are making all things new and you're making me new. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you run up against that. And yet, the scripture says that God is using it. He uses these things so that we may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You may be in some tough training right now. And I want to pray for you about that here in just a moment. Can I get you just to bow your heads and close your eyes? Could you be real with the Lord for just a minute? Maybe the thing that you're most angry about in your life today, God is saying to you, I'm using it. Trust me. Maybe you just feel like you're struggling and you're up against it. You say, Pastor, I, I want to believe. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up in the air right now and put it back down? Nobody's looking around. Amen. Amen. Others, amen. Anyone else, amen. Anyone else, amen. Others, amen. Amen. Jesus never promised that this was going to be easy, did he? But he did say he was going to be with us. And God said he was going to use these things in our lives. They're not wasted. Not one tear will be wasted. Not one day of adversity will be wasted. I want to pray for those right now who have lifted their hands. You join with me. Father, many of us in the room today are struggling. And we raise our hands to say, Father, we're, we're up against it. We feel it in our bodies. We feel it in our souls. We feel it in our minds. And Father, we give ourselves to it. Because we know that in your hands, all of these things can be used for your good. Father, when we can't see it, keep us focused on Christ who endured. Lord, we pray you would keep us holy so that we share in your holiness. And as you train us, Lord, let us yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God, I pray today that our eyes would be fixed on you. And Father, as we walk through these seasons, you would break the chains of bondage on our lives, that you would 
refine us with the refiner's fire and that we would give ourselves to it. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.